and welcome to the Thinking Not Podcast. I'm Cap, and I'm here with Charles. And Charlie, I don't know about you, but I am done with introductions. You know, I'm ready to jump into some topics, get to the steak. Last, last week's bite of salad, it was fine. It did its job. It got my stomach rumbling, but I got my napkin tucked into my shirt, and I'm ready to go today. How about you? <laughs> Please stop me from laughing. <laughs> Um, those of you who don't know, he just surprised me. Of course, it, it, <laughs> we were just having a very normal conversation. He says, okay, we're going to start recording. And wow, I got the announcer voice. <laughs> oh my God. Where did that come from? Well, we were talking at this volume. <laughs> and then I got the announcer voice. So yes, here we are. He's got his napkin, uh, tucked in his shirt and we're going to have some steak. Let's <laughs> All right. Well, as usual, you can you can tell already. Charlie doesn't know what today's topic is in advance, but we're going to be discussing whether thinking is the way to acting better. And we'll discuss how to balance your rational mind with your feeling heart. We'll also have some listener mail. Uh, Charlie's going to read a piece that he wrote, plus maybe a surprise or two thrown in. So thanks for joining our conversation. We hope something we say today will bring a smile to your face and help you want to make someone else's day a little bit brighter. And now, let's grab a cup of coffee and chat. The Thinking Knot is a podcast developed to help those who are trying to become better, a little bit better today than yesterday. It is an honest dialogue about the real-life challenges we each encounter as intention meets obstacle in the course of an every day. In our conversation, we weigh rational thought against our gut feeling of what is right, and we forge a path together using what is in our hearts if we can all just awaken and get into rhythm with that beat. Thanks for joining today's discussion. So before we start our conversation today, we have a short reading that Charles will do in which he shares some of his writing with us. This particular one was a really good footnote to how we ended our introductory podcast and to what we'll be discussing in this episode. So, Charlie, the microphone is yours. Mm, thanks. It's entitled Fine Ally. The infinity loop of a politely fine line within internal contemporary thinking. So I put a colon there. Because this is how it runs. Thinker. You fine? Same thinker answers. I can be. I mean, I think so. Yeah, so fine. Well, then fine it is. I guess. If that's fine. There's a little pause there. Well, how fine does it need to be exactly? In order to be really fine. Before it becomes too fine, as in refined, <laughs> uh, well, I'd laugh to myself there. Is there even such a thing as too fine? Okay, okay, I give up. Oh, that's just fine. Are we going to have to start around on this again? And that's where I conclude the dialogue and... I write, thinking to oneself doesn't often take you to where you thought it would, or where you once had been assured and promised. 
it could, which was to the truth. Nope. Thinking is fascinated with thinking first. Caring is low on the thinking list of things to think about. Thinking doesn't know anything much about caring. If, however, we put honestly sharing and openly caring as our guide and use thinking to solve the logistics, if any, then my thinking has a good purpose and is a fine ally and never goes around in circles. I like that. Thank you for sharing that. I, like I said, I think that'll be a great introduction to our discussion today. And now we join today's dialogue where we discuss whether we can think our way to better actions or if we need to start acting to change the way we think. Let's jump into the conversation. So, Charles, I'm ready with my color-coded index cards today. I, I, I like to try to get a rise out of Charlie. And so as I was working on this week's episode, preparing for it, I sent him a, a picture via text of my color-coded index cards. And I told him something along the lines of color-coded index cards are the, the lingerie of organization. It gets me all revved up for this, this week's episode of the podcast. And, you know, I was expecting, you know, something that would indicate that I got a rise out of him, but nothing, nothing. He, he was very earnest and said, yeah, I'm excited about it too, or something to that effect. But uh, I love to poke the bear a little bit. I know that uh, my color-coded index cards do nothing for you, Charlie. No, they don't. <laughs> and, and, and I might as well confess, as a man, lingerie does very little for me either. <laughs> okay. However, that's a personal preference. That is not anything against any other kind of... Uh, <sighs> so... Here's the thing for me, even when you sent me the picture, I smiled, but I didn't need a rise. I didn't need to. <laughs> no, I needed the rise. <laughs> yeah, but it was such low hanging fruit. What would be the point? <laughs> True. It's like I knew, I felt sorry for you. I went, oh, look how cute that is. <laughs> He's got and I thought, hey, yeah, okay, that's great. We're going back to some elementary. Learning tools, let's like put like with like and have colors and colors and what shape goes with what shape. And that's all thinking material. That's all organizational fun stuff. But it's not knowledge. It's not wisdom. And it doesn't really lead me anywhere. You could write all the wisdom in the world on those index cards and still be a dick. Yeah. Yeah, I probably am. But the (laughs) – but – I would push back a little bit and say that the act of organization is a type of wisdom. Knowing the wisdom to know how your mind works. And in order to prepare for this, I know I need a certain, I need some method. It doesn't have to be color-coded index cards. Last week, it was something different, right? Trying things out. But I know that for myself, I need to have some preparation to feel comfortable. Let me yeah. Stop. Okay, please. Structure is, is one thing. That's great. If structure helps you, but it's not content. Is my Oh, goal. absolutely. No, I'm relying on you for the content. 
<laughs> but it's like if if I if you have an outline that makes you feel like okay, it's I'm comfortable with this. I have some sense of where this will be today, and I come in in a different mood. Mm-hmm. That's like the general having his battle plans, and then the first bullet gets. Oh, absolutely! I agree, hundred percent. Well, that's. That's how much good your index cards are is what I'm trying to suggest to you in helping you get to know me or helping to get you to know yourself. Writing those index cards down told you something about yourself. This makes me comfortable. Exactly. Now, what is it about this that brings me comfort? No, uh, so comfortable is different than comfort. Okay. No, 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 no. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> oh, now don't don't t- patronize no, me. No, but you just took a feeling, which is uh, I I get comfort out of doing this, and turned it into an abstraction, which is I was comfortable. One's a feeling, and the other is an idea. No, let me explain what I mean the fact that i have color-coded index cards does not make me comfortable it gives me comfort that i can make this conversation go somewhere today if needed so i i have i have no idea charlie over my however many years in business how many trainings, seminars, lectures, etc. I have I've done, right? And the one thing I know is in order for me to present as confident, I need to have preparation, okay? And so it gives me comfort that I can walk into today's conversation with some measure of confidence. I have no idea where today's conversation will go. And in half of me wants it to go in a completely different direction like it already has than what my color-coded index cards say, right? But I have the confidence that once we start discussing today's topic, if we ever get there, that we can make sure that it is palatable for listeners. So going around in circles without ever answering some basic questions. And so that's essentially what the color-coded index cards. There are questions that if I were listening to this, I'd want answered. Oh, I get that. And I'll, you don't have to color-code them. You can just have them. <laughs> you know, you can do it like a deck and, and turn them all over and have them all be the same color and just pick a card, any card. I yeah, have a question yeah. For you. I like colors. That's that's part of my personality. I'm yeah. a colorful guy. Yeah, but you you have to <laughs> organize into types and categories and styles. And to prepare is for this. Yes. Color in my life is something completely. The color brings me joy. I hear that. As he says, sitting there in his purple shirt. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Which I like. I, I really like. You look very regal today. <clears throat> that has never been a word described to me. Oh, I bet it has. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I'm King a, Charles. I'm a King royal Charles. Pain in the ass. That's <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so I will lay claim to that. Um, there was so much to unpack in what you just said. 
twice I tried to get a, a, a break in there and then I realized you were on a roll and I had to let you <laughs> Thank go. you. Which is all part of how much I value what it is you want to try to tell me. So, you know, I, uh, it's so funny that you know, our listeners can't see, you know, the, the eye contact that we have, even the little friendly smiles that we're giving each other, like permission back and forth, like, go ahead, say it, go ahead, do what you're going to do. And, and it's like, okay, so we're actually doing this. And, uh, there's lots of, uh, conversations, uh, Cap and I have had surrounding, you know, who's got what say, who edits this, uh, what's the style, what's the, and it's just like, I walked up empty handed today and he said, oh, I'm glad to see you came prepared. <laughs> I was supposed to bring, the one thing I was supposed to bring was the reading that I had written. I had written, it's on my computer. I could have printed it out. <laughs> of course I forgot. So he had to go downstairs and print it. So he wants to say something now I can tell. No, you're okay? No, I'm good. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going on to the idea of comfort and comfortable. So when I'm attempting to have uh, my plan A is to have a conversation with my friend Charles. Plan B is if I get stuck, I got cards. No? No. Do you need cards to have a conversation with me? Have we ever had cards at the tennis court? No, absolutely not. So if I took these cards right now. And I just took his card <laughs> and he just looked nervous. <laughs> no, I took your cards right now and said, Craig, you and I are just going to talk about thinking. Yeah. And so for you and I to talk that way, we've done it many times. Mm -hmm. And you thought it was interesting. I did. But I also know that we have gone in circles. And, and while sometimes there is certainly value in going around in circles, from a listener perspective, I want to make sure the listeners get some meat out of our conversation. All right. What's the difference between a circle and a spiral? I'm not sure that, I mean, from a conversational standpoint, yep. don't know that there really is a difference. Ooh. From a spiritual or a learning point of view, a circle is flat and goes round and round. You don't learn anything. Spiral has direction. Okay. A spiral can go down as well as up, and it does seem to circle an issue or an energy or a topic. It seems to circle, but it's not at the same angle every time you go around the 360. You're at a slightly different point of view if you're learning, if you're paying attention. If you're not, you might as well just be like free-floating, and, and that's fine. You can do that. So why do they say spiraling out of control instead of circling out of control? Yeah, because you don't circle. You can spin out of control. You're spinning so fast in a circle. It's, you're just lost. You're just in a spin. But you can spiral because spiral has a direction that gains momentum. You can spin up and you can spin down. And those are actually quantum terms uh, for right. smaller particles. But. Regardless, our human experience does mirror our physical experience. They're very, very interconnected. So when you talk about comfort and comfortable, I have a mental comfort, an emotional comfort, physical comfort. And then when I can combine all those, I feel comfortable. Okay. And... When I have my backup thoughts or organizational, it's a 
it's a reassurance. It's, it, it provides a level of comfort that my thinking has prepared me to fall back on if our spontaneous conversation gets you nervous or hits a snag or I don't know. Or spirals out of control. Or circles <laughs> in a way. Right, right. So even this here, Craig, is where a lot of conversations between two people break down because they just don't know what happens next. Like we're not arguing, but what are we really talking about? And the difference is there's a thinking realm and then there's some other realms. And I'm not even going to say it's like binary. They're just very, very different. And when I put thinking as my primary processor for my human experiences, all those other realms get short shrift because my thinking is an energy hog. Just grabs as much attention and as much focus. And it's the principle of uh, work takes the amount of time you give it to complete it. It's like it expands into as much time as you give it, it'll expand into it. Well, that's what my thinking does. As much time as I give my thinking, my thinking says, I need more time. I need more time to figure this out. Kaplan said on the uh, tennis court, he said, I've come to a place in my life where I realize I'm probably not going to know everything. <laughs> he said it with a very straight face. He was, it was a sincere moment where he just went, I, I, huh. <laughs> so, yeah. Ron, tell me about that feeling. When you, do you remember it? It was very. I do. Yeah, I do. I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but you and I have talked in the past about accepting what is unknowable. And I think what I was responding to is a little bit different than that, but along the, the same trajectory, which is, you know, when you're young, everything seems possible and you think you will figure things out. Right. And now uh, I realize that there is a lot that I will never figure out. And, and, you know, I want to make sure I, I am saying that from a point of things, topics that interest me. Not necessarily, you know, I, I will always be working on myself. I had hoped that I would figure out why I'm here, what life is all about. And I have reached a point in my life where I'm okay if I don't figure that out because I'm not sure I, I ever would. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I've mentioned the fact that I think why is a, is a quicksand trap that the mind loves to get me to chase. I think if I know why, then I will stop doing what it is I don't want to do anymore. I just have to figure out why I'm doing it first. But there's always a preceding why. Like, what about that why? What caused that? All right, now I know why I said that, but why was I there in the first place? So there's a why that sprouts from every answer that I give. To a why. Okay. You've had a three-year-old or a, a person in your life. Oh, yes. Yeah. Why? 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 Yeah. Everything. Everything. And the answer to why is more thinking. When I have realms of my human experience, when you say you want to work on yourself, 
I want to say I want to continue to be awake to my human experiences for the rest of my life. I woke up to myself during the course of my life, realizing I was sleepwalking. I was doing what I was told, doing what I thought I had figured out was the right thing to do. And I was doing it as best I knew how or was shown how to do it. But I was still just repeating and, and you know, adding my little flair to it. But I was basically, you know, just following good orderly directions, so to speak. But I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't really happy. I figured happiness would come like I would figure it out. I would do all this. I would be compliant, obedient, cooperative, call it what you will. Pain in the ass sometimes. Yeah, sure. But it was never with any maliciousness. I wasn't trying to get over or get, you know, get by. Right. So neither you. I mean, I can, I know you from how we play tennis. Nobody's out here to cheat. Nobody's out here to do anything that is uh, unfair. Now we can make mistakes. Of course we do. But that's not unfair. That's just being human. So I can do that on the tennis court and I want to be able to do that in my personal life and I want to be able to do that in my business where I can make a mistake and still be okay. I'm still as lovable whether I got it right or whether I didn't get it as good as I might the next time. That's a schnauzer that agrees with me. All right, excuse us while we interrupt the conversation, but now it's time for Listener Mail, in which we answer questions that have come in about last week's episode. You didn't know that we had Listener Mail, did you, Charlie? <laughs> if, if I just sucked all the oxygen out of the room, I apologize. <laughs> well, this first one's from somebody from Ireland. Wow, someone listening all the way over in Ireland. Who could have guessed? Anyway, she writes... In your first episode, you were introducing yourselves, and all I learned about Charles was that he is white privilege and isn't proud of his children. He didn't mention male privilege, but from the deepness of his voice, I'm guessing he has that too. Uh, Anyway, anything more we should know about him other than these facts? (laughs) Very clever of uh, of you, uh, by the way. No, that was from somebody in Ireland. Oh, no, 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 but I'm saying (laughs) to the person in Ireland. Okay. I wasn't... Saying that to you, Cap. I was responding to the person in Ireland. I thought that was very clever. Uh, Yes, I also suffer from a a deepening uh, male privilege voice. And it's not very deep, but there it is. Listen, the things about me that I think will be most relevant is that I have lived a very uh, inquisitive and open life. I've once was described as, oh, you're the guy who actually does all the things that everybody thinks about. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I didn't even know I was that guy. So so I have been saying, looking for fulfillment and, and looking for uh, the meaning of this existence because I'm here. And, and Aristotle did say an unexamined life is not worth living. And that was like, okay, unexamined, but you, it's very cute. It's like, you thought that meant... Why, 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 why? And I went, no, like a biologist or a botanist. Ooh, what's this little green thing? Ooh, look at how that interacted with that. So I saw connections. I saw webs. I saw dynamics. I saw processes inside of me. 
an outside of me. And I realized I was connected with all of it in some strange way. And I was looking for somebody to explain that to me. And when that wasn't forthcoming, I read like a son of a gun. And that wasn't enough because it was all up in my head. And what I was experiencing had some of my head, but no, there was a lot more going on with me than my head. I had something uh, down below my heart, even a lot of energies going through this whole physicality called this body. A lot to get used to and not a lot of instructions. I've described it as having a 10,000 piece puzzle and no box stop. And your puzzle is 10,000 pieces and it's a different puzzle. So we can look and say, ooh, I can see you're puzzled. And I can look at me and say, I'm pretty puzzled too. <laughs> but if we go, yeah, but you got more green than I do. Yeah, you got more blue. It's like, well, nobody's making the puzzle. We're just comparing pieces. Oh, but if you can say, hey, I found that my, my blues tend to be more towards the edges. Where are your blues? And you say, mine seem to be. So then we're not competing. We're just getting to know each other. How did you put your pieces together? How did they fit? Well, and you have done that in helping people. So, you know, you've spent time in your life helping other people through, you know, whether you want to call it a life coach or an advocate or whatever, but you've spent time uh, where you have engaged with other people to help them through putting together their puzzle to some degree. Right. But this is not because I've, I've promoted myself. No, 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 no. no. What, what has happened is that people see, interact with me, and in their interaction, they feel, well, this is different. He's just a little different. I mean, I'm not an oddball. You don't look at me and go, oh, look at that clown walking down the street. You look at me and say, well, he looks normal enough. And then you start to talk to me and you go, whoa, he's really here. He's really right here with me. You have some, you have some layers. You have some depth there, yeah. And and when your depth sees my depth, you're curious, and I'm always curious. So your curiosity is always met with my curiosity, and so you'll ask me a question. You'll dare. You'll just ask me a question, and I'll give you my experience. Like you say, you seem to be able to keep your calm. How come? How come you're so calm all the time? And I'll give you a few ideas of how I got to calmness or what helps keep me calm. And if you're interested in that, you'll ask me a follow-up question. If that goes flat for you, if that doesn't mean anything to you, you'll just let it drop. You asked me a question. I gave you an honest answer. You're not interested and it falls flat. I don't go, aren't you interested in more? <laughs> because that would be forcing me on you. Why would I do that? But if you ask a follow-up question, I'll follow you anywhere you have an interest because I've been there myself. I took an interest in me. It's a good way of putting it. The listener writes, Cap, based on your stories from the first episode, I think we can all safely assume that you are, mm, shall we say, <laughs> control-obsessed. Any other deeply neurotic issues I should be prepared for? Oh, man. The well. nature of these questions are so revealing. <laughs> Holy moly. Let's just talk about deeply neurotic issues. Well, hey, Texas, thanks 
thank you. Thank you for listening. And yes, uh, I, I'm sure we'll get around to all of my uh, neuroses. Uh, I, I do have echolalia. Um, for those of you that may be aware of this, it's a um, whenever I hear an accent, I just I have this compulsion to repeat it out loud, which makes international travel very difficult. But, um, you know, I'm sure that on an upcoming segment uh, called uh, What Else Can't Cap Control, we'll, uh, we'll get into some of these things. So looking forward to that. All right. We have uh, one more letter that has come in. This one's from Matt in Manhattan. Hey, guys, loved that first episode. It was just like the Larry David show, except without the humor. <laughs> Um, actually, I take it back. That was more like that SNL skit where Anna Gasteyer and Molly Shannon had an NPR show, except somehow even more earnest and strangely more feminine. Uh, keep up the great. And then Charlie, there's just a line of Z's like he fell asleep on his keyboard. So not sure what he's trying to tell us there, but uh, hopefully we've picked up the pace a little bit in this episode. All right. Time to close up the mailbag and return to this week's discussion right where we left off. We just need to think a little better or a little different or a little something, a little longer. But thinking is is like my go-to tool. And unfortunately, um, it is a beautiful tool for certain things, but it's it won't access other realms for me. Like it won't access how I can appreciate how gentle you are with your dogs. <laughs> no, I'm very serious about this. This is a real life situation. You have dogs that are yipping and you have something that you want to do with your friend and you're thinking it's messing it all up and it's no, not. No, 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 no. I don't know. I'm, I'm fine. Because it's not. But the way in which you went and approached your dogs was so gentle and so loving. I can't explain that. And you can't necessarily tell me why you did it the way you did it. You just care about those dogs and you don't sure. want to use force or irritation or impatience in order to let them know mm, if you can quiet down, that would be a good thing. Which they still haven't, but it's... <laughs> right. right, because they have, you know, they're dog Yeah. And, and we love them. Why do we love dogs? Again, every time I try to ask myself, why do I love something? I'm in the wrong realm. I just do. Now, how can I love that something better? How can I stay attention, uh, paying attention to that something if I love it? Now, it doesn't mean I have to love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. But if it's uh, an object, let's say we talk about getting rid of clutter and they say, go up to it. And if you don't love it, let it go and let somebody else love on it. Well, that's not bad advice. But go up to something. And if you have it in your house, ask yourself, what do I love about you? Why, do you, why are you in my house? Why have I kept you with me? What are you reminding me of? What are you representing for me? What is it? And if if you're empty of all of that energy, then I should let you go and you'll be good for something else. You've served your purpose with me. Thank you very much. And I'm not being disrespectful because I let you go. I'm thanking you, but I'll let you go. Otherwise, I, I've just got clutter. I got stuff. I need storage space. I need, <laughs> you know, I need. 
more square footage to hold all my stuff. So I'm having a little trouble with this analogy. So bring it back. Are you using this as an analogy for people and living things that we love? Are you? Well, and, and, and thank you for that. That's important because it, it's such a broad uh, human beings have grappled with this word and this feeling uh, since we've started feeling it. What is this thing that makes me want to put myself at risk for you? Or for even something that is not of my species. Why do I feed it? Why do I take care of it? Why do I do what I do? And you have that answer. I have that answer. Could have been from your family of origins. You always had pets. It could be, it could, who knows? But whatever it is, the way in which you lovingly deal with your pets is the only thing I can see and appreciate and respect. And tell you, I see how you love them. That's why I'm your friend. You know how to love other things besides humans. And you also know how to love humans that are different than you. I've seen you do it. So there's a loving energy about you, a way that you care in how you interact with the world that your thinking has held you back about because you don't know if you should think you should care. All right. Now we're getting to now we're getting to the meat. Okay. I know. So I have to show you how much you care. And then I have to show you how much your thinking holds you back from caring the way you want to care more fully, more openly, like less judgy. Just because you're telling me what you think doesn't mean you're negating what I think. You're just letting me get to know you. So your thinking is one way in which you can describe or somehow communicate to me something you have felt. Or maybe something you had realized. Maybe it is a thought that connected with another thought that connected with a feeling that became an understanding. And you go, ooh, do you know what I realized? And you present to me. And I look at it and go, oh, that's really good. Or I go, oh, well, now, did you, how do you feel about this if we put that in there? And you went, oh, that does fit. So, a friendship is a back and forth. It's never about, if you don't love this exactly as I presented it to you, then you can't love me. Well, no, you can, you can present me with your thoughts. And I love your thoughts, but I love you more. And if I see that the thoughts you're bringing to me aren't making you happy, I'll ask you to consider changing how you're thinking. Yeah. And that's where I want love to be. The forefront, not the thinking. The thinking will not bring me to love because the thinking thinks of all the things that could go wrong. And love goes, I don't care. Even if it goes wrong, I'm going to still keep loving. Even if I make a mistake, I'm going to still keep trying. Even if I fall down, I'm going to get up. That's what love does. Thinking goes, I fell down. I, I messed up. They won't love me anymore. Correct. Correct. So a lot to unpack there. Yes. Let's let's start with the difference between. Well, no, I'm just. I yeah. I can already. I can already hear you in my head as I as I'm as I'm pondering the next question. Let's start with this. There is a there's a line of reasoning out there that says that 
And I've seen it in some Eastern philosophy, uh, seen it in a lot of places. But there's a line of reasoning that says that we have to employ reason and thought to overcome our lizard brain, right? That we have instinctual things that have been built in us over thousands and thousands of years where our first reaction is fear or concern, um, must protect the tribe, etc. right? And only by using our rational brain and saying, no, I need to approach that in a different way, can we overcome it? What I hear you saying, I... I don't I don't mean to say that you're suggesting that we not use our rational brain to think about some of that. But what I hear you saying is if you just start with love, if you start with kindness, that will guide your first reaction. So let's use an example. Last in our introductory podcast, we talked about the man who, you know, we were, my wife and dogs and I were in the crosswalk yes. and he cut us off with his big truck and, right. uh, you know, how, and how mad, yes. And how mad I got, et cetera. In that situation, you know, it was a fight or flight type of response that I was throwing back at him. Very instinctual. What are you suggesting that if I had just approached that first with kindness in my mind, that I could have overcome that instinctual reaction? If you are in a mindful frame of mind, you would realize that something unexpected happened. Nothing wrong happened. You didn't get hurt. Dogs didn't get hurt. Nothing really wrong happened. Something unexpected happened, and the way you reacted, you felt wrong about. You thought that it was his action that was wrong. Yes. And I'm expressing to you the real feeling involved in that whole experience that you had was you did judge him, and you felt bad about that. You did want to confront him. And you felt bad about that. You did feel like you neglected perhaps your wife's safety or your dog's safety and maybe even your own individual safety because whatever you were thinking as you went to step off that curb, it wasn't listening or it assumed that the car would do something other than it did, the truck, the driver. So all of that is going on simultaneously in the instant of that experience, that unexpected event. And it all rose up. That's life right there, mm-hmm. multidimensional, multi-level right there in that moment. And then that moment you reacted in a way that you thought was not your fullest awareness of who and how you'd like to interact. Correct. It's a learning moment though, because you learned, oh, if I want to react the way in which I'm aware that I would like to react, then I have to be mindful. Because I don't know when the unexpected is going to show up. This is why I stay awake. Because when I get startled, I tend to... Lizard brain. Yeah. Well, I don't think, but I do react. 
but I react in a way that goes, oh, I didn't mean to punch you. I thought you were. <laughs> That's an asleep reaction. Like if you were fast asleep and, and your mom goes to wake you up and you just lash out and you slap her or whatever. I'm just saying, yep. giving an example of a, it could be your wife for all you know, you know, but that instant reaction is because I was asleep, not because it was an awake choice. It was an asleep reaction. And when we are awake, we're trying to be awake to choosing our response. So the lizard brain reacts. Like I blink if something's coming towards my eye and I don't have to ask myself, should I blink? My lizard brain takes it. And I'm very grateful for that. But when my condition brain says the unexpected is a threat, I have believed that it's my responsibility to control all unexpected things because they're threats. And so I apply my thinker to minimize all the threats that I think are possible. And that's a full-time job and I never get around to growing spiritually or emotionally because I'm always constantly fending off threats. I'm living in fear. It's a hard way to get to love. Yeah. And I'm not saying for you. No, I know. I know. Anybody. anybody. Yeah. For me, it was impossible. I can't get to love through fear or through trying to protect myself. I get to love by saying, I don't know, but I'll try. The ultimate care. I don't know, but I'll try. And then when you want to try with me, because you say, I don't know either, but I'm willing to try with you. We feel better about that, not worse. So like, And then if you go, well, why'd you try that? And I'll say, well, I thought it would work this way. And you say, well, it didn't look like that, but maybe we can use this and then add this. And then between the two of us, we feel our way to what's going to work in our relationship and in what it is, even this podcast project. That's true. That's true. So I I am getting the idea of where you're coming from. I guess one of the the questions that remains for me is, you know, I have, and, and perhaps it's a romantic philosophical notion, but I have this notion of the examined life as a necessity. I realize after you know, our conversation thus far that the examined life is asking a lot of questions why. I'm beginning to, to question, is the examined life really a necessity or is it not a necessity? But I'm interested, you know, how I'm having a hard time understanding growth without examination and thinking. The one question that you think is self-examination is the one question that's a dead end. Why? You can ask how often, how much, what is this? When do I tend to feel this? When do I tend to think this? What happens after I say this? What happens after I do this? Do I feel better? Do I feel worse? And do I feel closer to the person I was talking to or further away? I can use self-examination to process an experience. How did I feel? What was that look all about? And if I don't know, 
If I'm really curious, I can't speculate. I have to go and ask you. During the middle of our conversation, you shot me a funny look. And I'm not saying he's doing that right now, but he's smiling. But the the idea for me is that I stay current in my conversation. If I see a funny look, I don't go on and ignore it and make my point. I go, hold on there. What was that? Because whatever you're going through is more important than whatever it is I'm saying. That's how you know I love you. Because I will stop my train of thought in a skinny minute and make sure you're okay. Make sure your question is being addressed properly. If I'm going around in a circle, stop me. I may not feel like I'm in a circle, but if I'm circling around something for you, help me to see how it is. And then I'll show you where Okay, we can move off that. That wasn't really a circle, but I was circling around it, seeing if I could get it clearer. But maybe it yeah. was already clear. I don't know. Well, first of all, I appreciate that. Uh, you are a spectacular listener and a, a very present listener, which is uh, a skill many of us could uh, could get better at. But um, part of that is, you know, what you have done for years and years and in, in helping other people. So you've uh, you've built up that skill. So I think I understand where you're coming from with the questions of why and the idea that some level of self-examination is helpful. So let's go back to the example that we've been we've been talking about, which is. Me and the truck driver, <laughs> me and the guy that, that cut me off in the in the crosswalk. So, you know, in that situation, and this happened months ago. So you can tell I've been noodling on it for a while, right? There's energy around it. Yeah. Um, and part of the energy around it is that I responded in a way that I was embarrassed by because it's not who I want to be. A- and in thinking of that episode, I had to ask the question, why? And I eventually got to a point in my reflection where I realized that there was an element of control. There was lots of things going on, right? And, you know, in in some of the reflection, I, you know, was just asking, why why can't we both just be kind? Why can't we both? I should have looked out for him. He should have looked out for me that, you know, in a perfect world, that's the way it would be. And I've had lots of encounters since on the streets where that has been the case. Um, But in that situation, neither of us was looking out for the other person. We were both just interested in getting to where we were. We were going and screw everybody else. But in in getting to that question of why and having the answer come into my head through reflection, that part of it was control, it has led me on a path where I have realized that I do try to control things that I have no control and will never have any control over, predominantly people. You know, part of the the stuff that I've been working on for the last uh, several months is around this notion of the only thing I can really control is what's between my ears. You know, I I can't control what you do. I can't control what you say. I can't control what you think. I can control my reaction to it. I can 
control whether I let it affect me or not let it affect me. And so that part of examination, and I'm going to try and pull a Charlie on you because I, I noticed that you now have a very concerned look on your face and what you're feeling is more important than what I'm saying. So please tell me what you're feeling. <laughs> it's a good we're going to have more podcasts. <laughs> Because I need a lot of help. This is not meant. This is why I laughed when I talked about therapeutic last week, because this is not meant to be therapy for me. I'm so sorry. I had no idea you were such a tangled mess. Yeah. Yes, you did. Come on, admit it. That's what drew you to me in the first place. You saw a project. I, no, I saw a man who was such a good man and he was so tied up in knots. <laughs> and uh, and I just just wanted to see, you know, like, who are you? What are you feeling? The experience of that windshield driver moment encapsulates a lot for you. It's it it, it, it it's a it's a real crystal clear moment in your life that seems that a lot of energies coalesce around that moment. Like where, where did it break down? You know, like I love everybody. I do. I want to. Yes. It's just people I can't stand. (laughs) (laughs) Or this one person in front of me right now. But when I realized that, oh, I get opportunities to, do I really believe what I tell myself I believe? And you felt like you fell short. Yes. That's what the old school used to call a sin. It's called missing the mark. It was an archery term of some sort. Okay, fine, 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 fine. What I care about is that you judge yourself morally. You judge, hold on. Okay, yeah. You felt like you didn't love in the way and be in the way that you have aspired to. Yes. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, you felt like, oh, I showed my ass. Yes, but. Go ahead. That's exactly what you did. But, (laughs) B-U-T-T. See, anything that comes after the word but is usually bullshit. It's a qualifier. It's like, Everything, if you put the punctuation mark, put a full stop period before the word but is what you actually know. I know I should go to the gym, but I know I should stop shopping, but I know I shouldn't do this, but I know I shouldn't. So everything before the word but is what you already know. So I say stop right there and focus on what you know and do more of that. Don't worry about the but. If you focus on what comes before the but, the reason why you can't do what you know you should, just focus on how can I know, how can I do better at knowing what I should do? Be myself. You want to be caring. You want to be the man in that moment that can be more compassionate than you felt in that moment. Now, it doesn't mean you didn't love him, but in that moment, you lost your ability to forgive and your ability to not judge. 
And then when you judged him, this is what we realized, that when I judge you, I judge me too. Because the meanness in my heart at that moment, I think you put there, but you didn't. All right. It was there. And that's what I went, oh, fuck. I have a mean that, spot that, in my heart. Yeah, now. absolutely. And that's what startles me, is that I'm harboring some meanness in there still. And that's what I want to examine. Not why am I harboring meanness, but what is this meanness? When I know I love everybody, when I know I want to respond lovingly to a mistake, because that's all that was, an oversight, a mistake. Now, if he'd hurt somebody, that's different. You can respond to pain in a way that somebody else's pain and all of that changes the dynamic. But the dynamic of what you experienced was a sense of not feeling like, oh, who showed up in that moment wasn't who I want to be. And he wasn't happy with who he was either. I'll be perfectly honest with you, even though he may not even say that to himself. He thought you were as big of an asshole. Yeah, sure. Maybe I should have just slowed down a little bit. But God, I slow down for everybody else. This is the one time I didn't slow down. And so you don't know any of his context anymore. Correct. You don't lose any of yours. So why are we judging each other in that moment? That's what I'm aware of. That's what my self-examination has led me to be aware of, that I am in no position to judge what you just did. Because I don't know the context of what you just did. So I ask myself, am I safe? Are you hurt? Do you intend to hurt me? And if the answer to all those is in the, you know, a realm that I'm okay with, then nothing went wrong. It was just like, wow. Because that's the very first thing when somebody comes by and does something unexpected, I go, are you okay? Are you drunk? You know, I ask drivers that. Are you drunk? Are you under the influence of something? Can I help? Do you need a ride? There's a million ways to respond to somebody else's mistake or asleepness than with righteous anger. Because when I make a mistake and somebody hits me like that, I go, I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. I just made a mistake. And when I expect to be pounded, I start living being afraid to make a mistake. Everywhere. In my job, in my bed, in my car, on my walk, I'm, I'm afraid of making a mistake because I'll get pounded. And I want to feel free to make mistakes because I'm going to be loved, whether I'm perfectly right or totally wrong. I'm still loved. And that's how I want you to feel. So I have to do what it is I, I would like to feel. Like when I make a mistake, I'd like to feel loved perfectly because <laughs> I'm a perfect asshole. Great. Love me like I'll try not to be, but I still can show up as one. And you do the same thing. You, I see it in you. I've seen it in you from the start. You don't show up to be a jerk. You show up to be a really good person. Sometimes you think yourself and you hesitate. And so the timing is just a little off. And timing <laughs> in spirituality and in loving is just like timing comedy. It's everything. Warm line delivered at the wrong moment is lost. But a simple word delivered right on time changes everything. That's beautiful, Charlie. 
Um, thank you. No, thank you for all of that. Trying to trying to get back to making this very real for people. How do we begin to ingrain some of this as habit? How do we? I expect, you know, some level of mindfulness through meditation or whatever. But how do we get to the point of ingraining this so we are awake? What are some steps we can take to to get there? There are lots of practices out there to do this. So. I'm not going to try to answer that comprehensively. I, I will suggest that one of the practices is accepting that the way in which I'm responding to my environment, my circumstances, is probably conditioned from before I was six or seven years old. And I've been acting out variations of those truths or things that I now believe to be true. I've been acting out my implementation of those understandings. And my life doesn't go according to how I thought. <laughs> no one's does. If it does, they complain about it because it's so predictable and so whatever. They'll, they'll blow it up. They'll blow it up just because it's, it's perfect. And who can stand having everything all the time? So I'll just blow it up just because I'll blow it up. I'll get drug addicted. I'll do something, I'll, whatever. So that's just the nature of our humanness, which is even if I'm perfect, I still want to, yeah, but <laughs> can't we still? And my thinking is the same way. I can have something completely figured out as a business person. All right, we button this down, right? And it's the end of a Zoom meeting. It took uh, 48 hours. We've been up nonstop. And at the end of this, we, everybody good? Everybody good? There's a pause. And you're just about as a moderator ready to wrap it up. And he goes, could I add one more thing? Somebody says it. Somebody, somebody says it. And it's my thinking. I've come to a conclusion. I've made a decision. And right as I'm about to make the decision and take the action that I've decided is the best course of action. What if, do you, oh. and I start all over again. I add one more and I think it through all again. I come back by that time. By that time. I'm in a whole other place to act. I, I am so layered into thinking that whatever action I make is going to be like, like when you send something to committee and Congress, whatever law you went to pass that was a good law comes out and it doesn't bear yeah. any resemblance to <laughs> what you thought you were going to do. Yeah, I, I think the whole paralysis by analysis movement ha has actually changed a bit in business because I think there's now – uh, a school of thought that is fail fast. So mm. decide quick, try it. And if it's not the right path, fail fast and let's try something, something else. Right. But learn from, I mean, nothing yes, is absolutely. ever 100% a failure. 
And nothing is ever going to be 100% successful. So what is it that we want to learn? Now, if I do that as a human concern, what did I learn? I tend to go, if it wasn't 100% successful, it was a total failure, start over. I throw it all out, start over. Or I take the one lesson that I learned and then I apply it to every relationship I ever have again. Don't ever trust anybody about that again or with that again. Yeah, we see that all the time. Absolutely. Okay. So all of that is how I button it down and learn how to keep it tight. Keep it tight so that I'm not being criticized. And I, I live so tight. I'm, I'm bound by all of the thoughts that I have about not getting it wrong. I hardly have any chance to explore what might be righter or freer or fuller. I'm just so tight, 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 out of caring to not hurt you. Oh, yeah. More likely out of caring not to be hurt again. I prefer, I see the goodness of your heart. You restrain yourself for fear that you might overstep and yes. hurt somebody. Yeah. I'm just talking about in general, you know, you see it all the time in people where they have built up such armor, um, trying to protect what's happened to them once yeah. on any, whatever the issue is, whatever the issue is, I got home invaded once somebody, whatever, I mean, so whatever. So, so that's the difference between having a painful experience and developing a phobia. And the experience of falling down the stairs once, and now every time I approach stairs, I, I like have to hold railings, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to put on a helmet, I have to, whatever. But I overthink it because I'm reliving the memory of that fall in my brain. I say, I never want to do that again. That was so scary, so scary. I could have gotten hurt, but I didn't. But I got scared. And I lived with that fear. That fall was over 40 years ago, but I lived with that fear for 40 more years of falling. And I only fell once. Or an elevator. Or a spider. Or, or a broken heart. Whatever it is that I tell myself, never again. I should be careful about that because I'm cutting off a part of my humanity. I'm not trying to learn from it. I'm trying to cauterize it. Well said, yeah. And eventually, I got no things to feel with left. I've cauterized everything that ever felt anything. I have to regrow back those. They'll grow back. Oh, by the way, good news. We can grow back all these feelings. So I'm going to come back around. I'm going to spiral back to... <laughs> I told you he was smart. <laughs> I'm going to spiral back to... The idea of what exactly we can do to have that awakeness that you spoke of, to be present enough to respond the way we want to. Do you have anything? Well, let's talk about you. I mean, you got there. What was your path like? <laughs> and that's the only way I can speak to it, to be honest with you. Um, my path was that I would set an intention every morning. And uh, 
my first intention was to get up early enough to set an intention. So I had to give myself an extra 10 minutes. So regardless of what time I thought I had to get up in order for my functioning self to function, I gave myself 10 more minutes. And that was after I had to do toiletries because that's generally what we do when we, we wake up. We do a function and then, okay. And before my coffee. And I'll tell you why. Because between my function, bodily function, and my coffee, my brain can kick into gear and I'll forget all about setting an intention. I'll forget about it. I'll be at noon and I'll be going, oh, shit, I didn't even set my intention. Yep, yep. So I really have to set an intention to set my intention first thing in the morning. And my intention is just to focus. What am I focusing on today in my interactions with the world? What would I like to develop about my ability to interact with the world today that I said, I'd like to do this a little better than I've been doing, whether it's being patient whether it's being funny, whether it's being considerate, whether it's being, I don't know, a random act of kindness that you don't get caught. Like you just do something really sweet for somebody and you just don't, you don't want anybody to know who did it. Then you don't tell anybody what you did because then that's not anonymous anymore. So you can't even tell your wife. You can only say to the universe, I did something for somebody today and I didn't get caught. and it's a fun playful way to do so when i'm focused on something like that i'm less focused on son of a bitch didn't call me back or oh my car's making a strange noise i'm gonna have to pay money to do no i'm focused on something else that is going to stretch me and keep my mind off all that incidental stuff that doesn't really matter i don't need to think about it I'll have the money to fix the car or I won't. Somehow it'll happen or I'll start walking or I'll get a ride or something will happen. And it's not all up to me. Yeah. But I think that it's up to me because I believe that I've been taught to be self-reliant and self-sufficient. And those are two of the biggest lies America has ever perpetuated on its population. Nobody has ever been self-reliant and self-sufficient in the history of mankind. Nobody. Correct. Yeah. And and you see this, and I don't want to derail the conversation because there's something I want to go back to that you you talked about. But you see this a lot currently, recently with sports psychology uh, and, Mm. you know, people who, you know, who think – that they need to be able to take care of some of these things themselves. And, you know, why are they so weak, et cetera. But, uh, and, and then you see it in politics, right? You see people who say, uh, I, I had to laugh because uh, I was helping my, uh, my friend over here with his mulch the other day and a uh, big, I say big, a pickup truck with a sign on the back came driving by, which seems random in a subdivision to see an advertisement. And the advertisement was for uh, some politician, but it talked about getting people off the dole. You know, you know, why why are we paying for for other people's mistakes? It's, uh, you know, something along the lines of that. And I sat there thinking, really? Is that the biggest problem 
we have is helping somebody out when they need it. Is that real? So you you do. You see it in sports psychology. You see it in politics. This notion that we shouldn't need help. Or only the weak or the lazy need help. Yes. Oh, really? I'll remind you that next time you reach out your hand. Exactly. Exactly. So I wanted to just real quickly circle back and then we'll we'll wrap up. But the idea of focus and setting the intention in the morning, which I, I love that as one step you can take towards mindfulness. When I came out of my career and I, based on a recommendation you gave me, started doing meditation, my initial thought was to de-stress. Right. Uh, part of the reason I retired was I got to a point where I could not get on a plane again. You know, I was doing 150, 200 flights a year and I would just I wouldn't sleep the night before going to the airport because I was so over it. And so meditation, when I started, I thought of meditation as a stress release mechanism that this is about, you know, meditation is all about getting rid of stress. I was really surprised. You were looking for a drugless coily? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yes. Uh, I was, they should market it that way. I bet, I bet more people would meditate. I was really surprised how much it helped in terms of focus. Uh, I did not expect that when I, when I started meditating. Um, but you know, it does give you that, I think, ability to be more in the moment, which is really what focus is, is all about, right? It is one of the things, yes. Yes. There's a, a clarity uh, that comes when you're no longer in all of that cloud of running commentary. When you are intentional about stillness. Even though you are inexperienced with stillness, you can improve when you say, I can do this. I don't even know how, but I can try. So this meditation that I suggested uh, you to try, you have now had the experience that something emerged in your willingness to be still, that your mind didn't know it was there. And your spirit and your heart appreciate the heck out of. True. And you are growing in a way that your mind feels. Like it doesn't know exactly what it is, but he's going somewhere without you. <laughs> I'm leaving you behind. Well, my mind has <laughs> abandonment issues. <laughs> Because if it's not thinking, it thinks it's dead. And it's not. It's just dormant. It's okay to be dormant. It's okay to, it's like, okay, not now. Go lay down. Shh, shh. You're not needed now. Rest, rest, rest. I'm in a different realm. You're actually a distraction. <laughs> Go lay down. No, you can't smell this. <laughs> <laughs> But he goes, yeah, 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 but you take me everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, come on. I got to be some help. Not right now. This is what 
another, there were two other suggestions. First was set an intention. The second is follow up at the end of the night before you fall asleep. Ask yourself, where was I mindful enough to do a little better? Review your day and look for one moment where your intention was put into an action. Because that's a win. Yeah, yeah. I've had some of those wins. It feels good. It's, it's a, it, you can't take it away from me. It's like nobody can say, yeah, that wasn't really a win. No, no, no. It's really a win. But you only know it. You set your intention. You reviewed your day for that moment, and it will always be there. And if it's not, renew your intention the next day. But if it is, just say, oh, this is working. So now I don't only have to just believe that it might work. I have one day's worth of experience that it did work. So if it's working, the very first thing I want to do is say, oh, okay, that worked. Let's stop. (laughs) (laughs) I cross this one off my to-do list. Done it. (laughs) That's my thinker who says that. Good. Good. You did it. You you proved you can do something without me. Congratulations. Now let's get back to thinking. We can end it here because it's been a long talk. Well, I I do want to ask you one last thing. In in a meditation I was doing last week, which was mind-body connection, Mm -hmm. the guided meditation, the person who's doing the guided meditation said about a smile that you can use a smile to fake yourself into that, you know, just putting a smile on your face will bring endorphins, et cetera. And this concept of fake it till you make it. Does that apply to kindness? No. No. I can't fake a kind heart. I have to search for my kindness and trust that it's there. Trust that I didn't kill it. How do I know? Do I smile at a puppy? Do I uh, wince at roadkill? I mean, these are kind reactions to the world. If I hit a butterfly as I'm driving, do I go, I'm sorry? Or do I go, f***ing stupid butterfly? (laughs) I don't know. But I know that that says something about me that I should be mindful about. That that attitude, that callous disregard, hmm, just pay attention. Because cause. Kindness, uh, that, that kind of disregard has brought us to where we are. Absolutely. It doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for me personally, and it certainly doesn't work for us collectively. And we know that. And we just can't seem to get enough of us on board to pull in the same direction. But I'm telling you, we're at that point now where we do have enough of us on board. The goodness in us is rising up individually. But then we're connecting and we're doing it collectively. And we didn't know we had that in us again, but we do. Great. It's been a good discussion. I'm sorry. Thanks. (laughs) You have nothing to apologize for. Thanks, Charlie. All right. Stay tuned. There might be more. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please rate, follow, or subscribe and review. You can find more of Charles's writing on his blog at owningourselves.com and more of my work at liveforwonder.com. Thanks for listening. We hope your journey is filled with wonder and that every day brings a little kindness. Be good to each other.